0: It's May the 28th, 1982, and on the back page of the Illawarra Mercury, we have an article written by Phil Murphy, and a picture next to it, of a young Dave Curley. The article's title is, Dashing David's Working Overtime. Phil Murphy gets straight into it and says, he's just 16, and still at school, but David Curley is already playing first grade soccer and working overtime to help Tarawana avoid relegation. Starting your senior career with a side struggling to survive is an unenviable task, but Curly is taking it all in his stride. He's been playing well since his promotion to first grade and was outstanding in Saturday's shock 2-1 win over highly rated Fernhill. Tarawana officials claim he has tremendous Potential and certainly doesn't lack education. As well as his regular senior training sessions, he plays on Sunday mornings with the Tarawana 17 side. If that isn't enough, he turns out with the Coromel High School side, one of the local contenders for this year's Tasman Cup. The youngster's ambition is to go as far as he can in the game and he was disappointed at missing the trial with the District Under-19 side this season. He said he was in the squad last year, but was playing in the under-17s for his club when this season's trials were held and wasn't considered. He says Fabio Fabronisi, the Tarawana keeper last season, helped him a lot with coaching. Quote, Fabio spent a lot of time with me and this helped me improve my game a lot. Well there you have it, the back page article from the Illawarra Mercury introducing Dave Curley our interview e this week on Football United vs Soccer City Podcast Episode 1. I guess the theme throughout this interview is Dave's passion for the game and zest, and as well as that, he always thinks of his teammates, and is always appreciative of people that teach him, such as Fabio in this back page story, and others that you'll hear throughout the interview. A great guy, and um, enjoy the episode that's uh, number one in this series so once again thanks to dave for the interview and i hope you guys enjoy the start to the football united vs soccer city podcast interview series
1: so dave welcome thanks travis thanks for having me welcome to my home
0: and thank you for having me and, and uh, thanks to the family as well. So uh, before we um, started this interview, you um, to help me, um, even though I knew bits and pieces of your career, um, you uh, grew up in Tarawana and I just wanted to, um, before we jump right into playing and coaching and whatnot, sort of get a sense of your childhood and, and how that sort of journey of soccer or football um, started.
1: Yeah, sure. Well, uh, yeah, mum and dad are from the mid-north coast of New South Wales. Uh, Dad's from Warhope, mum's from Port Macquarie. In the mid-late 60s, a lot of the timber mills in Warhope, the timber town, were closing down. Wollongong was booming at that time, so dad moved down here and within half a day had a job, a couple of jobs. Worked with Ag Wilton, uh, who was involved in, in some football back in the day, I believe, for cutting the detail. Anyway, so yeah, we... We uh, bought a house in Tarawana in about 1968 or something. Went to uh, primary school at St. Colin Kills. Played rugby league when I was in kindergarten. Because, as I, as I say, the uh, Wollongong history of the Holy Trinity of the Catholic Church, the Labour Party, and <laughs> rugby league. But uh, fortunately, two things. Living in Tarawana, which was, I'll use the word soccer, yep.
0: which was a soccer suburb,
1: because yep. uh, Coromel had rugby league as well as soccer, but fortunately, my four best friends were uh, Claudio, Angelo, Lorenzo, Maurizio. So obviously, I had a healthy dose of Italian influence very <laughs> early on, and of course, we played soccer all the time. And those guys, I've got a lot, a lot to thank those guys for, because they, they taught me just by osmosis that, that this is the, this is the proper game. Uh, so. In 1973, after a year of playing that other strange game, uh, I w- went down to Tauranga Public School and uh, signed up to play soccer.
0: And so, just so we're all clear here, listening, uh, it was 65. Is that when you were born? Yes, born in 65. So, so as an eight-year-old, you you joined the soccer club. Yeah, I was more the... late in the year. So I was seven. but Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. yeah so I played under eights and. Uh, Played at right fullback, st- still on the corner of the box for the whole game. <laughs> Didn't know what was going on. But, you know, getting out of the house on a, on a um, Saturday morning. I'm from a big family, so Mum was busy having babies around that time, so it was good <laughs> to, get, to get us out of the house. Yeah, and, uh, and I really enjoyed it. My elder brother played for a couple of years, and he played Yeah. And the house that Mum and Dad bought in Tarawana was right next to Blaker Park Yep. in Brooker Street, just a block over from Tarawana Oval. So I was so lucky. that We had a park next door. And as far as we were concerned, that was our backyard. And there were a couple of trees, a lot of trees, but there were a couple of trees in particular, just about right goalposts right distance for a for a six-year-old. So I just spent all my childhood around that time just standing in goals with the local kids kicking the ball at me.
0: And so uh, Tarawana's uh, Junior Song Club, was that run out of like it is today at the public school? <laughs> yes, it
1: was. It, it was at the, the public school. Um, when I first joined in in 73 and then in 74 which is when I started playing goalkeeper we're still at the school
0: and so sorry to interrupt but how did um, that change from right fullback was that a deficiency in your right fullback skills or it was just you, you, they uh, needed a keeper
1: and you enjoyed it what it was my brother played in goals he only played for a couple of years he played in goals and we, we just our, our go-to game in the park was let's go play shots of goals Yep. One, one in goals, uh, one shooting, and you know, back in those days, of course, the park was always full of kids. There was always kids around, and we would always play that. And I just liked it. I just really. I, I, there's a lot written and said about the psyche of golfers, and, and one of the things is, we're party pipers. The ultimate goal of the game is to score. Yeah, <laughs> our goal is that. No, no, no. <laughs> we're <laughs> going to stop that. And I used to like that. I used to like kind of the look on the guys' faces when um, when they couldn't score. And likewise, I was very challenged when they did and didn't like it. And that, that happened very young and that's probably a good thing so I would always try really hard not to let it happen again. So no, I, I guess that year there, there wasn't a goalkeeper in the team. The guy who played the year before I think was actually way too old. He was just small. So he snuck <laughs> into the other sevens. So uh, I, I put my hand up playing goals and I almost wanted to. And and so I played in goals. And that's yeah, where from, it started. From under nines. Yeah. And then Tarawan Oval... I think it was '75 that um, it was developed. And in fact, the first year of Tarawana Oval was only the juniors. Okay. The seniors didn't play there. It was developed by the the Cropper family, yep. a great um, Tarawana soccer family. Everyone might know uh, John Cropper. Yeah, he, teacher, he taught me, me. Kira, Kira. He was a very good player. Very, very nice and great yeah, man. Great guy. Still doing a bit of coaching here and there, I think. And his uh, brother Colin, who was also a good friend of mine bit old, I shouldn't say that, sorry Cole, <laughs> uh, played a bit of cricket with him and um, he was a great coach as well. He actually coached our Pornhub the high team in 82. The teacher was smart enough to bring a proper coach in. So yeah, and, and Graham, uh was uh, their nephew and I was friends with him and he was part of the residence of Tarot as well. But anyway, yeah, so the first year at Tarot was, town Oval at Street was was juniors only and Tarot Senior still played at Balbionie.
0: Okay, and that was, again, Sports Oval, still called that, rather than Judy Masters yeah. it is today. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: Okay, so, um, that, um, you were talking, um, and I've seen a couple of your posts on Facebook where where you said that it wasn't just um, playing junior football, you then had, um, a couple of years into it, you then started being ball boy. Do you want to yeah. talk a bit about that? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. My- my coach in under nines was an amazing guy, Peter Simpson, his name, Pete the Pom, affectionately known as, coached cricket down at Bally and coached soccer at Tara and he had a massive influence on my life. He instilled in me the love of the game and I learned very young that as a coach, that's my job. That's my biggest job. He would take us, because he played reserve grade at the time, and he would take us to games, guys like uh, Daryl Quirk, yeah. Theobord Lazzo, a few other guys. He'd take us with him to the games and we'd become ball boy. I remember the big ball boy at Balgana back in '74 as like an eight, nine-year-old. And I took very seriously. And I thought as a goalkeeper, I should be able to catch and kick. So I took that job very seriously. And I'd chat to the, to the, to the ball boys and ball girls at tell about that still today. But what that did also, my memories more so now are at Tarawana Oval by maybe 76, 77, 78. I think all three of those years, Tarawana in the grand final. Yeah, they were strong, well, well, strong well, years for the, yep. in the top division. Yeah, in the top division. Uh, and, of course, there was no National League then, or no National League in Wollongong. So the best players locally all played there. Yeah, And, uh, it, you know, it bought me a ticket to the inner sanctum. Um, you know, I got to be in the shed. And these guys were my heroes. You know, forget about the pros in England and whatnot. My heroes were these guys. You know, Graham Edwards, Charlie Brown, uh, both with cricket and with soccer, well, he was my hero you know the electrician lived on the road it wasn't about some European superstar uh, and th- that meant a lot to me and I think that's what gave me that sense of loyalty to Tarawana even though later on I had, had a couple of years at Bally, we might talk about that later um, but certainly I value that I'm old enough dare I say to remember what loyalty means yep. and what it means to be part of a club and while you might go and try the things but something always takes you back to that place
0: and um, like we said, Tarawana was a strong club, and and I think in the sort of mid mid seventies, um, you know, Balgiano, I think merged with what was the old South Coast United it had become Safeway, and then I think they had one year in seventy six as City. So, and then they finished I think either seventy six or seventy seven. So you're right, there was a, a strong standard in that that local league. So yeah, you yeah. weren't just around people that were very good. Soccer yeah. players, you're watching very good games as well. Exactly, and it was guys like no,
1: at least just top of my head, Graham Edwards, um, Wayne Bradford, was in that in, in the Balgarry team that got promoted to the first division state league. Maybe Gus Masters as well. I'm not sure. Maybe David Naylor, he was in Unadilla. But anyway, they were they were they were all very good players. And particularly, I mean, the looking back, the Tarawana ferry Meadow game in the late 70s. I don't just mean the grand final yep. of '78. But just that match was—it was a hell of a game. It was—it was—it was top quality, you know. With two fantastic goalkeepers as well: Kel Potter from Meadow, Graham Edwards of Tarawana. Um, you know, forgive me for sounding like the old guys romanticising, but those guys would play at the top level now. If they wanted to, Kel Potter was a machine. I remember talking to one of my coaches, a good guy, Van Sursen, who once said that he just had this mental block whenever—I think he was a Conno at the time. He went from Bullard to Conno, as a young guy. And playing this for Freddie meta I was like, my God, we can't get past this guy. So, yeah, anyway, as you, as you say, it was a... I mean, I'm a little kid, I know nothing at this point. Uh, and it was the rom- romance of, of being closer than all that was so magic to me. But, yeah, it, it was a pretty good standard.
0: And so uh, that period was obviously special to you, but you obviously progressed through the ranks. And, and at a very young age, I think it was age of 14 you ended up playing senior football at Tarawana. Yeah,
1: well, Tarawana was a a small junior club, but a strong senior club. And I just played in Tarawana juniors. We had an OK team around 8s, 9s, 10s, 11s. Just played in the second division, weren't that great. But that was good for me because I always had lots of work. But then by certainly under 14s, it was a pretty poor team um, because some of the good players we had had gone to better teams. But I stuck with Tarawana. I wasn't going anywhere. And I loved it. Sure, we'd get beat 2 or 3 nil in a week, but it might have been 10. But anyway, then, um, the guys, because back then, youth grade was under 18 yep. in the Premier League. So a couple of uh, Tara Stallworths, Robbie Fernie and uh, Jimmy Lancy, they um, they put a lot of confidence in me and they made me feel confident because they said, no, you're good enough to come and play in the 18s. Where well, I thought, you're kidding, aren't you? But sure, I'll come to training. I love this place. And, and I, I got a gig in the under-18s at 14. And so, uh,
0: what did the what did the parents think about that? They were cool. They,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I was involved, had been involved with the club for a long time by then, so they 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 trusted those. was so a level of trust there. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and they. But they wouldn't do any. Yeah,
0: because it is a young age, yeah, and like you said, right. you're you know born late in the year. So yeah, and they
1: knew that. I loved that, but having said, I broke my leg that year. I remember the wor- one of the worst decisions of my life because.
0: Because I think, um, sorry to interrupt there, it was 1980, and then I had a, a few records from, I won't disclose the sources, but it was 1980, and I think your debut was uh, round three of that year. Um, do you remember any of your first game for, um, for Tara? In youth, right? Yeah. Wow. Cause you've, and that makes sense to no, with my records, right. because you... It, it's the no, records that I had that you only played five games that year and, no, and
1: that, breaking your leg that, now makes sense, I thought, well... Yeah, no, that's right, because... Well, I didn't know that, but... Because when I went... They already had a keeper for the 18s, yeah. but Jimmy and Rocky thought I was better. So they talked the powers of being. there, let, let this kid come along. Please let him train with us and you'll see and whatever. And uh, so after a couple of games, they put me in there and I was loving it. And back in those days, simpads weren't. Compulsory in this particular day, it's really, I'm not going to wish you today. And it was very poor technique. I went out for a one on one with um, Steve Morgan, yep. who was from Bally, who played for Fern Hill. And poor technique, I went out legs first, which is why something happens to me when I'm coaching kids now with one on ones. <laughs> the first thing I say is don't go out legs first. Um, yeah, and broke my leg. Uh, after I was, I, was, I was doing all right, you know, I I was loving yeah? yep. it. I can't remember the scores of any of the games, it didn't really matter to me. But yeah, so that, and that was my season gone. And then, ironically, mm-hmm. the next season, when Dave Naylor came in as the coach, and by this time, a lot of those greats had left. Yeah, Along because
0: the, the year that you uh, sort of debuted there, you still had the likes of Graeme Ingram, Dennis Patterson, Graham Edwards, Phil Scott, Steve Tomlinson, yep. uh, Phil Bridge, Gary Masters at the club, and some of them had moved on in 81, had they? Yeah, some of them. Some of
1: them were still playing. But... The interesting thing, and I've, you know, I have to clarify this, because sure, I'm so honoured that I, I hold the record as the youngest first grader of Taranana, but that's this is why, uh, Graham Edwards, by this stage in his career, had a reputation of I'm not coming to training, <laughs> <laughs> he just didn't come to training, <laughs> and and somehow uh, Dennis Patterson put up with that, and he still came along every week and was brilliant, but when Dave Nails took over as the coach in 81, he was very, no, you don't train, you don't play. Okay. And this is old mates, you know, uh, Charlie and Dave. And Charlie was, well, I'll stuff you there. And he, he, he actually went and played for Valley. And actually went to training
0: And that was, uh, <laughs> I know. think Valley were in second
1: division. Yeah, then. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, the and premier um, league. anyway, so Dave stood tough, you know, and just as, for some reason, there wasn't even a reserve grade keeper there. And he was this 15-year-old kid. Who played five games in underground as before, a year before he broke his leg? Um, and, and coming back from a broken and leg. And coming back from a broken leg. But sometimes that youth, youthful naivety is a good thing. Because I think I was, I was tougher and braver when I was 16 than I am now. Um, but anyway, so David said, No, you're the only people here. You're good enough, you're playing. And so I pl- we actually got to the final of the Corombe League's knockout. We, we lost to Coniston, uh, to Fryers Coniston. Uh, and then the, I, played the f- I played the first game, which I think because of rain we lost a week. So, they, as it turned out, Tarrell were playing Coniston in the first round of the league, and it was also supposed to be the Charity Shield or something. Mm-hmm. And we'd already played the- each other week before in the Cronwall League's knockout, which is now the Frat Cup. Yes. Anyway, so I played that game and we lost, and I led a really bad goal. I think it was actually given as a, an own goal. Anyway, um, but, I, but I, I, I played first grade at 15 and four months or whatever. And then, luckily, for everyone involved, uh, Fabio Fabronisi was um, talked into coming over to the club, and he was great for me because he was a really passionate guy. He had some experience at Marconi, had some experience at, at friend Meadow as well. He'd come to that Meadow thinking he'd get a gig, but then <laughs> Kel Potter was yeah. so good he didn't get, get the first grade gig there. Anyway, so then by 81, he'd come to Tarra. And he taught me a hell of a lot. And his passion really rubbed off on me as well. Because I got to train with him. Uh, So I played youth grade and reserve grade, like, nearly the whole season. And I was 15. Until uh, Steve Masioski, someone tracked him down by about, I don't know, I played more than half the season, two games every week, which I loved. Uh, But then Steve came along and he was a good keeper. So, yeah, so that was, so even though I did debut at that young age, I only played one game. I'm pretty sure it was only the one game, as well as the, the pre-season knockout.
0: So it sounds, um, in terms of, you know, it's not, maybe it's a coincidence, but it seems like there was good people around you at that early stage, whether it, you know, started off being ball boy, people at school, rather than going down the rugby league sort of paradigm, yeah, yeah. Um, which you probably would have been good at anyway, who knows. But now I'm too soft. But then... <laughs> But then as well as that, good people and, and good technical soccer people at Tarawana, that meant that you got good junior coaching and then you got given a, a good grounding. Um, yeah, especially, yeah. you know, maybe things would have been different if Fabio hadn't came in. They obviously were looking for another senior keeper, but you might have played more that year but learnt a lot less.
1: Absolutely. I, I, I probably would have. I would have found it. At, at 15, there's no way I would have handled a full season of Premier League first-rate. And it might
0: have, you know, done something in terms of your passion for the game. Yeah, so. who,
1: knows, who knows? So I'm so glad. And I, I, I wasn't stupid. I knew that I was only there because there was no one else there. Yeah. I, I wasn't kidding myself. Uh, but I still, you know, grabbed grab the opportunity. But yeah, when Fairbairn came along and I would train with him two nights a week and we would train really hard. And like, looking at, like, tech it was a long time ago, so techniques had changed a lot. And there was things he would do with me that I wouldn't do with people now, like make me dive over uh, this... Really hard wooden splintered bench in the rain, and I wouldn't dare say no, I'm not doing that, so I just do it. Um, but he, he taught me a lot uh, about uh the passion for the game, etc. And even looking back a bit, even after Peter Palm, Gary Furney, who later coached uh, first grade of Tara, he was my coach in under 10s, 11s, and 12s or something. Graham Ingram, who played first grade of Tara, that great team, late, cetera, he was my coach at one point. So I was lucky. In fact, none of my coaches were parents. You know, these days, the stock yeah. standard is, it's a parent, and if you luck out and get a mum or a dad who's a, a good football person, you, you've done well. And I think it was said something about, dare I say, simpler times, where people maybe had a bit more time, time. On, their, on their hands, but the close connections between the senior and the junior club. Because all those three guys I just mentioned were members of the senior club in Toronto. Graham, as a, and he was playing first grade at the time. And so we, we had one of the best first grade... Midfielders in the best team, our coach, in under 12 second division. And then Bluey and Louie Fernie and Pig the were also, um, I think, was reserved graders at the club. And as you pointed out, it wasn't just, you know, for the time, guys who knew what they were talking about technically, the good people. Yeah. that looked after you. And I, th- I hope that that is something that gave me a lot of grounding and I'm still using today as a teacher and as a coach, and whatnot, yeah.
0: So on your um, uh, list of a sort of a slight timeline that we went through, um, you know, you, you played um, only that one game in '81, and, and pretty much doubled up in the other, the lower grades, but still learnt a lot. In '82, in, um, you were you were in first grade all year, so I'm assuming um, Fabio had left. Um, yeah, Fabio went
1: to Coniston. Yep. And actually, I was. I started the season in reserve grade, and a guy named Gary Hoswell yep. played first grade. And I remember early in the season, I um, co- had the Columbo High School um, Jindabyne trip. Yep. And I, we got home Friday night, midnight, I got, went to the game the next day, I, I played reserve grade, had an okay game from memory, and then Hos didn't turn up. So I walked off, and Mick Grant, the president, said, so I'll come over here, young fella. Um, you're playing first grade. Oh, cool, no worries. And I, um, we got... It was a very good team, Phil Brown, et cetera. But I remember I had a good game. We probably lost 3-0, but I remember I thought I did OK. And, uh, and then that was it. The spot was my... I, I kept it for the rest of the year.
0: And in sort of... Uh, concurrently, you were playing there, but you were also playing um, at, at school level as well.
1: Yeah, also I played a Sunday morning with the under-17s. So I played with my schoolmates on a Sunday morning, um, Saturday over for Tara, and then by this stage I'd moved from Edmund Rice to Cornwall High, again because of the Holy Trinity I'd alluded to earlier. At Edmund Rice we had a really good team, but back in those days the Catholic and private schools weren't in those competitions. <laughs> so I had a goal I wanted to, to make the state and Australian schoolboy team, couldn't do that from a Catholic school. So I shifted to, to Connell uh, And we, we had a... Well, actually, the, the Connell High team of 82 was 75% Tarawana. And then it was um, Jamie Dunnett. Yep. He was um, he was probably the best front of the team. And then Craig Smith, the full-back. I so you, you think everyone else in the team was So you'd Tarawana. made the,
0: the South Coast CHS yep. combined high schools team. Yep. And then played in a tournament, so sort of really you've got three
1: seasons going on. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, there's a lot a lot, lot going on, but, you know, you live for it at that age.
0: And so do you think, um, you know, playing Premier League with, with a, great, a great and strong club at that time, and they still are, Tarawana, but also playing amongst technical gifted players in the Tasman Cup obviously you're learning at every place yeah. you're playing and then you get to sort of yeah. recharge your batteries on Sunday, I guess, and play with your friends so you're still not left out. Yeah,
1: yeah. And, and and you, and your mates could be honest, you know, that hopefully it's in my my makeup anyway, but I didn't think I was any better than any of them um, just because I, I was lucky enough to get a, a chance to play first grade because, uh, m- you know, my best mate at the time, John Crony, I thought he was better than me. But... I just happened to be at a club where those opportunities came my way, you know. But and also the f- this, the the first South Coast schoolboys team I played in, Zivko Rosovsky, Peter Kalamenitis, Alex Madalo, Craig Baker, Peter Hodges—all really good players. Some very good names. Yeah. Really, really good players. So, I, I feel pretty good about myself. That wow, you know. Um. In fact, you, you dug that poster up, that photo up recently. Yeah. And I thought, wow, that was yeah, that was a great experience, and and I. I guess that did increase my confidence. Well, if if I'm good enough to play next to those guys, and so was that
0: um, eighty three, where you then moved across to the youth grade of Wolves after yes. the eighty two season. Yes. Yeah. And so was that a was that a hard decision? Because you spent a couple of seasons at Wolves youth grade. Yeah. Obviously, you wanted to develop yourself further. Yeah. But was it hard that you know you are still playing in a quality league, the Premier
1: League? was it no, a, was it, it a hard decision? It wasn't really. I was a big Wolves fan from day one. Yep. From 81 when they first came into the league and I remember uh, on the way to school, craig and I, would we could see the rubbles of Brandon Park. We'd be looking across from the highway and thought, oh, it's got to be there one day, it's going to be there one day. So because I'd had a, a, a year as a first grader, as a 16-year-old, the, uh, the Wolves gave me a call. Luckily, they trained at to Bell County, which is a short walk from where I lived in Tarawana. So it wasn't really, and, and I went with the blessings of everyone at Tarawana. They um they wish, wished me well, and you know that when when you're a young person, um it's you know, have a go. You know you might not make it, but better than better than dying wondering kind of thing. So yeah, so that was uh, that was enjoyable. The, the the two years I had there,
0: and so um and that's another picture that I got off uh, of James Dummett's uh, mother. Um, was was oh, was a. Bit a, of that. Was a um, uh, a combined um, national youth league yeah, team. What, what that was with with some some quality players yeah, involved. Yeah, some
1: really good players in that team. What that actually was, the Strain Soccer Weekly used to do reviews of all the youth matches, and they do a three-two-one. And then at the end of the season, they basically picked the, the highest ranking players. And um, I I don't think I was one of the two best keepers in that league. That had some good keepers in it. Tony Frankham, I think he was the best.
0: Because you're in the uh, this select team at yeah. the end of the year with Bob Catlin, was it? Yes,
1: yes, big Bob Catlin, um, a fantastic goalkeeper, and he's he's coaching somewhere. He could be coaching at the Jets now, I think. Um, but look, this is my take on that. Was is that th- we didn't have a great season at the walls. I was always very busy, so I figured that's why <laughs> I got a lot of the three-two ones, and certainly, yeah. Um, I can't remember a lot of the other names, but Tony Frankham was him and Bob were the best keepers in that league. I thought so. I was pretty honoured to 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 rate a mention in, in that squad. And
0: so then you, the article that I read was that you then played a, a team from St George. Was it? That yeah. You played. So yeah. that was their first grade team that this select team played against. Oh, I
1: think so. I can't remember. It was, I was. I was. I was. I was nervous walking walk and you just saw those guys you play against. Like wow. Really he's put a few past me and whatnot. And because I was very conscious of my height, you know, not not yeah. being you know, being quite sure for a keeper. And Big Bob, he's about seven foot five, he's a monster of a man. I think I tried to stand on my toes in the photo and ask him to duck, but it didn't work <laughs> out. But yeah, yeah. Um, so again, but that, I mean, I was always, you know, I think I was always pretty humble about it, even to the point of, oh my God, do I deserve to be here? Yeah. Um, but, and I remember that game, because I, I played the last 30 minutes or something, but I remember, actually, I played really well. I, I was nervous. Oh, no, we are going on where I think they were 1-0 down or something. This, this, we, this team met in the sheds. <laughs> there was no training. We just turned up. Oh, hi, my name's Dave. Oh, yeah, you play for Woodland, don't you? It, it was like that. But I remember going with about 25 to go, maybe thinking, oh, I'm going to stuff up. They're going to score a few goals. People are going to remember the, the shorekeeper. And but I actually made about three good saves and, and didn't let a goal in. So that was around 83. That was 83.
0: And so you had 84 again at Wolves. Yeah. So I think, was it, who were the keeper? Was it Natch still then? Or or
1: who were the the senior keepers at Wolves? In in 83, Jim Preston and Natch Vardariff. Yep. And they were great to me, those guys. They were so good to me. Um, They they did a few school holiday clinics and got me to come along and help. Uh, I would do a lot of uh, one-on-one stuff with Jim. Um, He would call me up and tell you what having a telephone conversation with a guy with a broad accent like that is scary and he was a hero anyway uh, so they were really good to me there, there wasn't a goalkeeper coach as such back then so we were just sent off on our own to, to do a bit of training in the corner so was there two youth grade keepers
0: and two uh, senior keepers or, no, or just, it was just three of
1: us it was just the three of us yeah because the other thing of course is that there's only two teams so often the, say if Jim was number one Natch would and you see some, on, and the bench. on the bench. In fact, something happened in '84, which
0: because con- who was who was then your uh, youth grade coach in that '83 season? '83
1: was Wally Miller. Yep. And '84 was John Frew. Okay. Now in
0: and is that when Alston was the Adrian Alston was a senior coach in
1: '84 '84 '83 was Willie Wallace. Yep. So I went in at the the Wally Miller Willie Wallace yep. period. Don't and say then,
0: that very quickly. Exactly,
1: <laughs> and then um, John Frew and Adrian Olsen in '84. By then, Jim Preston had left. A great man, love that guy. He he did a lot of coaching at Celtic with the goalkeepers. Actually, I think he's still coaching somewhere. And then Natch was still there. And then uh, an old mate of Noddy's gone in Ron Tilson, come in at the Wolves, who had played a bit of Canberra, and his um, his pitching point was had played England in the '21s. Or something um and so i used to tra- train with him as well he was really good to me as well and i remember something i think the best i would ever played i think i peaked at about 18 and went all downhill from there <laughs> i remember one day at bruce stadium and um up against manis lamont uh i think Manus he might have played a couple of games the Socceroos. Really good player. Very skillful. Really good player. And top guy. We, we, we got to know each other quite well just through being, him being a striker and me being a keeper. And this one day, because, you know, a kid from Tarawana growing up on the coal wash, you go to Bruce Stadium, it's like a carpet. It's beautiful. And I just felt, you know, some days you just, yeah, you just feel like, yeah, I'm here today. This is it. And no one's got to score. And I had one of those days that day. And Manus must have had, I think he had about five or six years. The story gets better as I get older. <laughs> <laughs> he had a number of one-on-ones just with me to beat, and he just couldn't get past me. Because by that time I'd learned, don't, don't dive in at Manny, because he'll just, he'll dance around you. you. know. And this particular day he couldn't get past me. He did many of other times, but, but not this day. And then, um, I actually, I've never told anyone this, but the um, the Australian online coach at the time, Jimmy Shoulder was there. That's the only one I've ever played in my life, I think, and he saw it. And subsequently I find out I'm on the short list for the, for the Youth World Cup. Oh, wow. At the time, I didn't... I never spoke about it. I didn't even tell my best friends because that's not going yeah. to happen, you know. Don't get ahead of yourself. And it didn't. Um... But... A couple of weeks later, I get dropped. And I'm freaking out. What? Why am I getting dropped for? It's because... Natch had that again for a while. I wasn't good enough for the first-rate team in the National League, no way. So, of course, Natch has to be match fit in case Jim gets injured. Yep. I understand that now. As an upset member, at the time, I, I didn't. And, and I got really upset by it. And I lost my form. And I... Look, I probably... The guys who went to the World Cup were better than me. I wouldn't have made it anyway. But at the time, you're hoping. Yeah. You're hoping it might happen. And, and that... I don't think I ever got over that. Um, I mean, I did. I grew up. But, yeah, yeah, But yeah, yeah. for the next little while, until I left the walls. And I think that those experiences have h- helped me in the way I deal with kids now and any keepers I coach now. And, for, if, for example, whenever there are trials, I make sure I go talk to the kids who don't make it Yep. and, um, and keep their confidence up and, and, and give them reasons as to, you know, maybe why An they didn't make it. An important part in the process. Yeah, and what they can do to come back, etc. cetera. Uh, because I feel like at the time... Maybe that stuff wasn't explained to me as well as it might have been. You know? So,
0: at the end of '84, um, was it was it just in your head that okay, I'm not going to make my senior career. I need to go back to the local league, or, well, or did something else transpire?
1: You know, it was more than that, actually. I was actually only thinking about this the other day, in in preparation yep. for this chat, because it's so long ago. But um, that was you my HSC, and. I'd been overseas for about a month just prior to my HSC. The New South Wales combined high school team had a tour of New Zealand. Yep. Then uh, finished with a, a week and a half in Hobart for the national titles. And this was, this was the combination I wanted to make the Australian team. Yep. That's all I wanted at that time. That, that's why I went to Cromwell High. And uh, subsequently, I, 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 I did make that. So that was a massive high for me. But then I was like, oh, okay, well, what now? And then I um, actually went into a pretty pretty black period because I didn't do well in my HSC. My focus was not on education. My focus was on football.
0: And you fulfilled your yep. goal at the time, yep.
1: which was to make that team. But in doing so, oh, my God, what do I do now? I didn't get into uni. I didn't have a job. I was embarrassed. And my mental health, a term that wasn't even used back back in those days, it was shot. And look, looking back at it, that was a really dark period of my life. I was probably probably suffering depression. Um, and I was too embarrassed to go back to the wolves. Because of... Because of not getting into uni and, and all that, and not being employed and whatnot. I just felt like a loser. So I didn't go back. Um, and... I don't think they missed me. No one, no one called me, even though I was the Australian schoolboy keeper at the time. Um, and the incumbent youth grade keeper. Yeah, yeah, and I was still young enough for the for the for the youth grade team. Uh, and then, so of course, where do you go when you're in trouble? Back to your family. So we went back to Carolina. <laughs> and I played first grade there for for a couple more years.
0: And I, th- I think the thing that I've noticed, and probably why I'm still involved at a club is that um, more often than not you're around good people that volunteer their time so you know um, I know I uh, even though there's some time constraints which impacts on family life mm. um, later on in my life what i felt found mentally I got a lot out of it just from the social side so did that going back to the club help you being around people that you knew yeah. that you are comfortable yes, with and that there would be no real judgments that you might
1: have thought would have happened, yeah, like you said, at the Wolves. That's right. Having said that, though, the guys at the Wolves were a great bunch of guys. Yeah, and That was what and you and were
0: thinking, though.
1: Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. And I'm sure they wouldn't have judged me, Paul, no. by that. They wouldn't have, because they were really good people. Um, the coach... Uh, I mean, the coach was John Frew. The manager was Neville Arasmith. Smith, two of the greatest men I've ever, I've ever known. Yeah, very... So it was, it was more about where I was at. And yeah, thinking, that's and, right. and not having the capacity to share it. Yeah. Like if, if I had sat down with through or Neville, they would look looked after me. Yeah, I don't know true. that now, but I didn't know it then. And guys like you know, still good mates with people like, uh, even if it's only online because of the tyranny of distance. But you know, Craig Baker, Peter Rogers, um, uh, Glenn gr great people, you know. But yeah, it was it was a safe safe retreat back to Tarawana. There's something else that happened that year which would, um, I guess. Yeah, it set me in another direction, was that, I remember pre-season training and the uh, president come down and goes, oh, fellas, um, anyone interested in coaching the tarot ladies team? Because uh, they haven't got a coach this year. And I was like, oh, I've got plenty of time in my hands. You know, by that time I was, I, I'd gone back to a bit of taste study and I tried to yep. forge a career and eventually that worked out okay. So, there I was t- coaching the Tarawana ladies team. And, the first time we ever coached actually was the Cromwell High School girls team a few years before, the year before. So I brought a whole of them over and, um, and then coached the Tara ladies team for a couple of years. And that then, you know, and I've been coaching a lot of women ever since. So that was really
0: the start of your coaching journey? That, it was, yeah. First with Cromwell High and then with the Tarot. Yeah, ladies it was. team?
1: And I ran into um, the first goal Pepper. First female goalkeeper I'd ever coached. Uh, Nikki Sandona was the name at the time. And I said, I've got to thank you for something. Because I've never entered into that headspace that so many goalkeeper coaches and football people I've met have entered into. with that oh, the girls can't play football. Oh, they certainly can't be goalkeepers. Because Nikki could play. And so I think, of course she can. I'll talk about dive. She can dive. She's tough. She can dive at the player's feet. Etc. Um, and then that held me in good stead years later, when I, particularly when I was up on the North Coast and coaching the rep keepers up there. And I was living in Ballinger, a little place near Cox's Harbour. I'd landed a gig as the Holiday Coast, what a right name, Holiday Coast Soccer. It later changed, it's the North Coast Football. And I was coaching the keepers there, and there was a bit of a old school mentality, and I changed that uh, and had some real success there. Was young one young woman who went on to a, a, a w League career and she went overseas got a, a soccer scholarship in the states wow. and, and she's um, she's back in Costa Rica now doing doing that job actually and and had had a few girls make state teams and and now I'm um, coaching the the girls in the for football South Coast in the Girls Conference League uh, and I've done lots of coaching of of uh, female whippers and I think there's a difference. So
0: there's a real—you um, can just hear it, and, and when you speak about it, even even your text online, you know some of the some of the words are used describing it, it. There's a real passion there. So, do you think um, that was always innate in you that you wanted to sort of um, help and, and improve others, or do you think the environment that you're in, where you got such good coaching, that that meant that you just had a chance at Coromandel to help out? You put your hand up. And then it started that, or do you think you always would have head down the, the coaching role? I don't know. I
1: don't know. I, I mean, you know, you, you, the, the path kind of sets itself out in front of you sometimes, and you just choose to walk it or you don't. Uh, but I think I would have. I, I think I did always have, um, you know, I, I liked helping people, without sounding too trite about that. And, and even as a kid, well, oh, one of the only things I'm good at is goalkeeper stuff. And I'm not that good, but I can show other people. Yep. You know, and I think actually also that's what helped me a lot because you know, I mean, you could have found a lot of better goalkeepers than me to do this interview with, yeah. you know? and I know that that wasn't that wasn't your focus to find the best, but um, I think that's helped me in my coaching because I understand I understand my own downfalls. Yeah, and you know, they say that great players aren't always great coaches because yeah, they definitely. can't understand why why their players can't do it. Well, I can, you know, I can understand why why a kid can't do something because I maybe I couldn't do it. Or I had to work really hard to be able to do it. Or one of the reasons I now know that I wasn't very good at far post crosses, not just because of my height, poor technique. And now I know the correct technique because as a coach I've learnt it. Yeah. And I can now, I love getting keepers who aren't really tall <laughs> because I can teach them the stuff that wasn't taught to me. You know, uh, yeah, yeah. So, and also with the, the coaching girls, well, first of all, let's be honest, I just moved from bit and Ice I'd spoken to the girl for a couple of years. All of a sudden, all the girls, a <laughs> you know, want me to coach them. <laughs> Hello, uh, but I, I, I certainly hope that that beyond that, I do have a strong sense of social justice, and that uh, the women's game is a good space where social justice can be can be um, balanced. And and so from the, from all those days, all those years ago, because you know, these girls were like, how come the boys get everything? we were a pretty strong soccer school and I kind of thought, yeah, you're right. Even as a 17-year-old, however old I was, I thought, they're right. We, we get all the attention. That, that's not really fair. Um, and then they didn't have a comp; They, they just had a, a one-off knockout so they oh, could okay. pick a South Coast team. So I, I coached that. Um, but yeah, as I say, at Tarot, a few years later, given the opportunity, I, I jumped at that. And then I've been really lucky the last nine years coaching my daughter at Bialgiani because... She didn't want to play when she was really little, like six, seven. Then um, we moved back to Laura one I wondered, Dad, I want to play soccer. I was like, hello. And then... Came on. And, and yeah, and, and we're still doing that together.
0: So um, do you think um, you prefer that sort of um, minute detail where you get to be that goalkeeper coach where um, even though you coached other junior soccer... You know, you said you coached your daughter, then do you prefer just being a general coach or um, do you like that aspect where you do have a, a strong skill set as a player, as a goalkeeper, to then say, hey, I can improve a shorter player in terms of far post crossing or do you like still doing both?
1: I like doing both. but I love goalkeeper coaching. I love it. And that's what I'm better at. Yep. Um, and as a, I, mean, I only coach the team because my daughter's the team leader a coach. Yep. And, and, and I've done that for it was, you know eight, nine years now. But to answer your question, honestly, uh, I prefer goalkeeper coaching. Yeah. I've learned more about the whole game. But the great thing about goalkeeper coaching is that you've be, you be, almost become an assistant coach by stealth. And you can do some of that stuff that a manager does as well, where you know, you're not quite as busy in your headspace as a team coach. So you can keep an eye on, on the boys, on the girls, on... Who's struggling a bit emotionally? Yeah. Who, who needs a bit of a GR? Yeah. Who needs just a few little words in their ear just to make them feel a bit better about what they're doing today? So you can do that kind of stuff. Yeah. And also sometimes you can break the ice with a silly joke and, and whatnot when you're not the head honcho. Yeah. So th- that, that's a good thing. Uh, with my role with Football South Coast and the Girls Conference League, uh, because I'm be involved with three teams and working with three coaches, uh, all who are have their own personalities and whatnot and are really great to work with, I can come in and, for instance, I'll say, guys, can I have the girls for half an hour? Because I noticed on the weekend, they don't know how to put a wall up. Like the keeper did, but the rest of the guys didn't know what to do. So we'd we'd work on that. Or work on communication with the keeper. Like when the keeper says away or keeper or back, what do they mean? And you get different answers. So... It's very important that the keeper coach works with the, the team the coach players as well and with the outfield players. So um, I mean at a senior level that stuff should be sorted and certainly yeah. Peter will at the town is really good with that. Um, but at the at the junior level sometimes we take for granted what kids know and goalkeeping is a it's almost a different game. So I'm as much as anything an advocate just to remind other coaches that guys we need... look at this. Because I noticed, again, communication, for example, I noticed that um, when my my keepers are talking and using the correct language, the players don't know what they mean. So communication only works if it's two-way.
0: So can we run a whole
1: session on this? And when do you say keeper? When do you say away? What does that mean? When do you say back? What does slide mean? What's the word you guys use? I, I, I say jockey. What's the word you use? Let's get on the same page with all that stuff. Because um, that makes the goalkeeper feel better about their game, makes them feel more in control, and it allows the foot players to value them more as well. And this is coming back to, to the mental stuff. Yeah. Because if the kids are happier playing, because they know what the hell's going on, they're going to play better, and they're going to stay in the game longer. So, yeah.
0: So you've really seen that um, change, which I think we've all seen in... Uh women's and girls football where it's really grown but now it's sort of evolving the way it should be uh, with more, I guess, a more professional approach than rather the the Coromel High days or even Tarawana ladies team, even though I guess they were pioneers of Tarawana to be one of the first clubs playing. So you've seen that um, approach and there's no real difference between men and women in terms of playing the game, is there, in terms of there's still
1: quality players are quality players, it doesn't matter what yeah, gender, so... Yeah, but having been closely involved in the women's game for a long time, uh, there's still a long way to go. Like, you just have to look at the draws, the junior draws, and I've experienced this for the last nine years, we hardly ever got to play the number one ground. Yeah. It's stu- that still happens. It still happens a lot. And the, um, the girls don't always get as many referees as, as the boys do. That stuff still happens.
0: Um, still comes back to that social justice point that yeah. the girls at high school made in,
1: yeah, in that yeah. mid eighties. So, so don't get me wrong, we've come a hell, of a hell of a long way there, but there are still some inequities that, that exist and there's still we still need to keep fighting the good fight. Yeah, I know with, people with like uh,
0: Kath Lear on, on the Women's Council and there's plenty of people there on the Football South Coast Women's Council yeah. and, and the board above them that are sort of applying that path so yeah. it happens but yeah, yeah. it should probably yeah, happen exactly. quicker than it has and certainly
1: the, again my involvement with the Football South Coast this year yeah. oh, still 2018, yeah, uh, with the Girls Conference League and I encouraged some of my girls from Bali to go and, to go and have a go there and their parents were asking me oh, well what's the set up like and I said well I'm involved in it and so far mm-hmm. so it seems pretty good yeah. and i got to say that those guys were great and they they didn't, there was no second class hitters and stuff there at all. They they really, um, they, they walked the walk in terms of it's a, it's about development, not results. Having said that, there were premiers in all three teams and two were final winners. But generally, do things right, that kind of success will come as well. So um, it certainly is, is getting a lot better, for sure, for sure. So
0: in terms of people that don't know what the, the conference league is how does how's the competition structured? Who do they play against? Okay, it's
1: a, this was the first year that Football South Coast were in it. There's oh, what other there's like say so the NPL one is what the stingrays are in. Yep, um and Football South Coast have, have a license for that. And I, I think there's an NPL two and then the then the girls' conference league, which is um like there's a team from out Camden Way from St George Way. And there's another couple of clubs, I could, I could be wrong here, but one of them is Dunbar Rovers for example. I think they're just a really big, strong club.
0: Yeah. I think they, was it recently they beat the Albion Park team last week or the week before oh, really? in the Champions okay. of Champions, so right, yeah. the name is in my yeah. mind. Yeah. And
1: um, so yeah, some of them are like, like Football South Coast are, a team from a, you know, from, from a conference yeah. area. And some, I think, are just very, very, clubs very, very big clubs that have kind of outgrown their local leagues and almost become a rep team. In that, anyone from that area wants to go for them, go to play for them. So, they so can it's play. a good
0: opportunity, from what you've seen, for the girls to apply themselves. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Underneath
1: yeah. that stingrays level. Yeah, that's right. And the and the training was really good. Like a big commitment, three nights a week, every second week, having to travel. Um, so it gives the the girls a taste, in if they want to pursue that. And um, and I, I go along once a week. I coach the goalkeepers on a Thursday, um, and uh, and are with all three teams. So I get to see what their commitments like, and I see how much they've improved, and they've improved a hell of a lot uh, in in the the way they approach the game, and their skills and in their techniques and whatnot. Which is um, which is you know, kudos to their coaches for that.
0: Yeah, well, like I said, it's a, a space that still needs a lot of work, but. I think it's it's a, it's a good space for, I guess, girls in the Illawarra. Um, it would have been better if we had an A-League team, but that's another discussion. Yes, it is. Um, yeah. I think people, well, my opinion is that people lost that in, in the A-League bid, that we did have a W-League bid at the same time, and mm. and that would have, we've not just lost a, a men's opportunity, we've lost a women's opportunity. Which yeah, that's right. With, I think we're quite capable of fulfilling right now, but... Yeah. That's another story. We just gotta
1: look at the strength, you know, the, the with the women who have come out of this area who play for the Matildas. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. In fact, people might not realise that um, oh my goodness. Haley, Haley razzo uh, Matilda yep. plays for the um, Portland Thorns as well. Amazing player. Her dad, Gio Razzo, was goalkeeper for Fern Hill. Okay. And he plays some time at Bulambi and at um, Tarawana as well. When that went the Taroona trouble, could, needed to call an old keeper back, great keeper back in the day. And I think he like, he moved up to the gold to Queensland somewhere, and uh, got married and children. And Haley's his daughter. Oh wow! Yeah. So there, there's a there's a link there, there as well. And of course it's Kevin Ford and Michelle Hayman. host as well. Of and of course the new young woman who have got her name who goes to Wollongong High School. But anyway, yeah. There's a and there's a few younger girls I know too who are who are well on the way to that to that level.
0: And that's good that there's uh, a clear pathway and, and aspirations can turn into reality. Mm-hmm. So we sort of, I guess, digress there into that coaching period. So going back to your playing career, you'd finished at the Wolves for various reasons, went back to Tarawana um, for two or three seasons, I think, uh, 85, 86, 87. Um, and well,
1: 87 started
0: at Tarawana. Yep. So about those years before you went to County, um, you know, was it the same when you came back? Um, you know, what was your enjoyment level like? You were still playing first grade, I assume?
1: Yeah, yeah, it was, of course it was, I wasn't out of school anymore either. Yep. And, so, you know, I, and, um, you know, I, I started working, um, first of all, just in a job I hated because I needed a job. But then once I started to actually forge a career in social work, that I really started to love, um, that took took a lot more managing. And and I was growing emotionally of course as well. And you know, when you start working with with homeless teenagers, when you're only 20 years old yourself, you uh, you learn a hell of a lot about the world and about how unfair things are. It's a different stratosphere isn't it? Yeah, and and you put things in perspective, you know. and then... But so I still loved Tara and love all the people there and enjoyed playing and whatnot. Uh, but it wasn't the whole focus of my life anymore. Yep. And then, beginning of 87... This, in some ways, is a regret. In some ways, it's not. Yep. I'll explain. Early 87, uh, I got dropped. And I didn't think I really deserved to. But anyway, that, that's, that happens. That's all right. Uh, but then... Uh, Balgani were in first division and were, had a young team, a coach in Eric Thompson who actually I played, who was my coach at Tarawana in the, my, um, my, my first season in first grade and they kind of pounced as soon as they heard that I'd been dropped and I went over because a few of my mates were there as well and looking back I thought, oh I should have hung in there, it yep. was a bit soft of me yep. just to leave because I got dropped. You know, so I regret that, but I don't regret the fact that then had... I loved it badly, because the very young team, um, that photo you popped up the other day, which it was actually the 87 team, I mean, me, Graham Lover and David Blackburn were 22, we were the old guys in that team. Like, as, and as I think I posted there, that was under the 23 team. Uh, and the, and uh, my, hooked up with my old friend uh, Richie Peel, who I played with the Wolves, become great friends with all those guys, still good friend with Andy Lancaster, I've been coaching his daughter for, for a few years. so I've really lived with him. I used to work with his wife, so I can't regret my years of Belgian because of that.
0: But the decision to but go the de- across, yeah, your- I thought that was a bit
1: soft. Looking back, that I was, yeah, not proud of that. I, I, I wish I would have been a bit tougher and maybe fought, fought to get my spot back. That's what I would encourage someone today. You know, but yeah, but the, the interesting thing is it Baloo because both the, those seasons both ended with losses in penalty shootouts.
0: Yeah, I think one to the Lysarts, wasn't
1: it? Yeah. The previous one was Oak Flats. We had... To, it was the qualifying final for the grand final. And I've got to tell you this story, because it's, looking back, it's just funny. And it was down at Throgy Oval on, on midweek. And I remember... Well, I remember they had to score to win. And I made... And I saved it. And it was, a, it was a good penalty. It wasn't just a fluke. It was a good one. And, you know, full-length dive, got my hand to it, hit the post, went out, thinking, awesome. Big mistake. I'll tell you why because by then it was now after, I think it was now four all after five penalties. Yeah. So it goes into sudden death. Long story short, it comes down to me and the other keeper. So after 10, it was like seven all or eight all or something. And big Phil Leshnik, a fellow like I'd known from Edmund Rice, he was about three years older than me, Edmund Rice. And um, we are like, oh, this is shit. Oh my God, this is not <laughs> fair, Dave. He said to me, he oh, I don't know, what, what are we gonna do? And we're like, man, whatever happens both our penalties were as bad as each other but he died the right way I died the wrong way and <laughs> like but at least it, it, it taught me what it feels like to stand up to a penalty and shoot out so I can I can certainly empathise at, at training we used to have penalties and I was one of the best in the team under no pressure yeah but you get up there and all of a sudden oh my and I was second so if I, if I miss we're gone and I just overcompensated I used to nail on bottom left corner but I thought oh if I go for the corner it might miss and I put it you know a step to the left of the keeper and we're gone and then the next year against Lysas in the grand final I saved three we lost it was three occasions in a row where one of our boys just needed to step up put it away and it was out at Berkeley Sports and Social yeah. we used to call it and they ended up in the bowling green all three of them <laughs> and as I also mentioned to you it's easy to remember those years because it was the two years that Wayne Gardner won the MotoGP Wollongong yeah, Wiz the, the, the Wollongong Wiz the number one boy. So um, you then spoke, and
0: and I guess uh, being a soccer podcast, we've sort of focused in on that, But and you alluded to it before that, you know, uh, in terms of your uh, vocation in life, which was social work, you sort of were growing there and more attention was to there, but there was also the addition of a a musical life as well. So you were saying when you gave me a basic sort of timeline that we could talk about that after that end of that um, 88 season was it or 89 yeah 89 pre season you know yeah. you then made the decision to not play football so um, you know whether you want to talk about it I still think it's of interest that you know you had a lot going on apart from your normal life uh, which everyone has work and whatnot yeah. which was a passion but then you had soccer but you also had music so yeah but another thing your time management skills must have been very good
1: yeah I don't know I guess so I don't know but because, yeah, I really always loved my music as well, and I alluded to a good mate, John Kranovic, earlier, um, a great guy at my age, and we, we were in our first band together as well. And I guess he really continued the football stuff, and he played at the National League with, with Sydney United, or Sydney Croatia, and was at the Wolves for a while, and still a magnificent coach, where I kind of went, went more the music thing, and it was... Yeah, early '89, I was in a band called the Proton Energy Pills. Yep. And we, uh, Waterfront Records, which was a, a very hit kind of indie label in, in Sydney and had a distribution all over the world, they uh, they took us on board. And I was, the, uh, when we were doing a trial game, uh, I, I'm thinking, nah, nah, I just had to speak to Tom straight away. So said, so I better look, you know, now because I, I can't do this anymore. Uh, so I, I left the game for a while and just was, was fully into, into, into doing the band thing, as, as well as my work, of course, because the music didn't... I mean, punk rock doesn't pay enough money to live on, but it was certainly something... It was my, my new passion that I really wanted to follow.
0: Was there any uh, similarities um, between those two industries, soccer and, and music?
1: Uh, well, th- not so much industry to start with, but I, I always see that, I always say this, that football stays soccer. It's, it's the punk rock sport in Australia because, you, you know, my favourite book, Shula's Wogs and Pooftas by the Great right Johnny Warren, Warren yeah. it, it talks about the second-class citizenship that our game has been given. And alter, alternative music, it's the same. Yeah. Uh, that's not real music, that's crap, no one likes that, what are you doing that for? It's, a, it's the same with soccer. So I saw straight parallels. And funnily enough, years later I become, I won't say friends, but acquaintances with Damien Lovelock. <laughs> Yep. from the Silver Rifles, and I, I love that band. I I was, he's a big Southampton fan, yeah, from memory. I'd seen them many times, and once we started talking football, it was like, wow, I had no idea... I said, I had no idea that you... And he told me lots of great stories and, and, and whatnot. And he would kind of say the same stuff. He'd say, yeah, the it's, it's the it's the punk rock sport. It's the, it's the sport for the, the person who loves it and is passionate about it and is used to fighting for it and standing up for it. And someone who is passionate and loves alternative rock and roll and is continually told how crap it is, it's the same thing. So I, I see those two things aligning very closely, actually, yeah. And as for the industry, um, oh, yeah, you know, <laughs> the world's not fair. The best players don't always make it. The best bands don't always make it. So, yeah, yeah, but you just keep on fighting. And, and so um,
0: you spoke about when you left Tarawana that, you know, potentially you could have stuck it out. Do you think... Um there was a point there where you thought well I'd done all I can in soccer or did you miss it in some respects um or you thought nah I needed to focus on music and my work or my family life as well and my heart wasn't in it so so be it.
1: Yeah my, my it was a new chapter of my life and I think I, and the world was had become a much bigger place it wasn't just my my home in Tarawana and Tarawana soccer club anymore it was just I'd, I was just learning about the world and social justice issues were becoming very important to me and um, and I was in it. I was in it full tilt. You know, I mean, it, it becomes quite, you, know, you become politically active, yep. uh, which you have to in that area, particularly working with ho- homeless kids and, and fighting for funding opportunities and and whatnot, advocating for kids who were um, who were treated poorly because of situations that they can't help uh, in terms of employment, which kind of their making. Yep. Yeah, and whatnot. So th- that that was th- that that was everything at that time. Yeah, and then it wasn't until a couple of years later when um, the, oh, cause the, the rock and roll world could be tumultuous and you could be kicked in, the, kicked in the guts and all that kind of thing and a few dodgy things happened along the way there and then at that time Tarawana went from Premier League, First Division, Second Division in straight years and they were struggling wow. and um, I just got a call saying oh, can you come back and just help us out and so I, I played, played for a while there um, and Eventually uh, the club kind of grew back up again and i come and went for a while yep. around that period because I was still in a band and still touring and playing and recording and whatnot. Um, and then it wasn't until that I kind of pulled back on that a fair bit because work by that st- stage was getting too big and I never did music for a career really because I, I was, you know, was really punk, a passion I was the punk rock guy that was kicking against the pricks you know, so yep. I, I wasn't interested in the mainstream industry anyway because I hated it uh, and I was a bit stubborn around all that stuff so then around probably 96, 97, I got involved back at Tower again. And I played a little bit of first grade. Uh, and then when Dave Naylor came and asked said Dave, I want you to be officially be the coach now of the Keepers. So you can still play. Uh, so then next year I'll just play reserve grade. And, um, and that, that was a, a... I appreciated that from Dave because it was like a statement that, OK, you're, you're a goalkeeper coach. You, you are. You aren't just the more experienced keeper that can help out the kids, you're, you're a goalkeeper coach.
0: And that sort of, I guess, started your coaching journey again. You yeah. Had, you probably had that mid-80s there for a couple of years and yeah. football, music, work took over and then that restarted that yeah. coaching journey.
1: Yeah. And then um, that was my fix and it's been my fix ever since. So while I've been asked to play in those over 35 teams quite a bit, they must be short goalkeepers or something, um, I always figured that, look, you know, as you get older, you get worse <laughs> as a player, better as a coach. I'd rather coach. Yeah. I think I've got something to offer to some kids. Um, I don't want to break my leg and be off work. Yeah, definitely. For six months, or like all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, I've continued to do it. And as I alluded to earlier, I did up, up the North Coast. I did a lot of that. Because if you go to a new town, you don't know anyone. The first thing you do to go to a local football club. Yeah. And then, fortunately, I'd, I'd learned that um, the local, the re- regional local coach had just had a bit of a run-in with the boss there. And then, who happened to, a guy named Bruce Wallace, So i got to th- thank um, for t- really em- embracing me. Uh, and also, got to thank Glenn Fontana, because when I told Glenn I was moving up to the North Coast, I said, oh, I'll give this guy, Bruce Wallace, a call, an old friend of mine. And, of course, the first thing Bruce said, oh, you went with finding you poor bugger, etc., etc., <laughs> They used to work together for Bull New South Wales. But that was a a really good contact to have. And then, uh, yeah, so that was great because they didn't really have much, um, dare I say, quality golf club coaching there. And I'd learned a lot from Fabio, from John Cradge. I'd even snuck in and watched Ronnie Corrie's sessions a few times, done a bit of my own study, um, and I was able to take a lot of new stuff up there.
0: And that's a beauty of life, isn't it, that you acquire this knowledge... Whether being trained by someone, watching other people, doing your own study, yeah. and then you, I guess you'd build up this sort of toolkit, which you can now give to people that, you know, in, when you were growing up, you didn't have necessarily. It was more watching and, and then some yeah. rudimentary stuff that you spoke about with Fabio, yeah. which still got you to
1: a point, but yeah. now you're giving... I'm not Fabio was fantastic. Oh, it was just saying it was and that's just time the, isn't the it the techniques have changed <laughs> yeah since 1981 yeah. you know? and, um, and yet yeah, getting back to, to John Kronenbeck again um, I've been able to one of the great things about this year was that we start, we've been able to coach together again through um, Scotty Chipperfield and Dean Morales' venture yeah. uh, Scotty's Upside uh, Chipper's finishing School, which has been fantastic in that it's a the idea is about as the term implies the final third Yep. And it's like, okay, well, if you're going to do that, you've got to have goalkeepers. Yeah. You can't just have the kids shooting at cones. So there's the goalkeeping element, element where John and I work with the goalkeepers. And then, so last time we had a weird 24 of them. Um, so what we would do after the warm-ups was that we'd send 12 out to all the stations that all the other coaches mm-hmm. are running, which is just high repetition shooting drills or crossing drills. So the kids are under the pump the whole time. So half of them work with us doing the te- technical work and we're pushing really hard and then they go out there, groups of three at the different drills, turning over quickly and, and also something that John and I can do probably because we're such good friends is that we create the goalkeeper club. Look, you, when you guys are here with us, you're a club, we're a team. We help each other, we support each other and I think John and I can model that because we were best mates as kids and we supported each other like I know that John just, he could have went to the Wolves but he didn't because I was there. And it wasn't the I left that he, didn't, that he did that and have a go. And we, all, we always went to each other's games and if we could we encouraged each other. We, um, we would train together. Um, in summer we'd get on the beach every Friday Arvo and do a, a strong session on the beach. A soft sand session, then go to the pub and watch a band. You know. So I really believe that that friendship that we have developed over all those years shows when we coach together. And We're like brothers, we understand each other. I terms. guess the
0: kids are seeing that relationship yeah, as well, which yeah, is a positive.
1: That's right, absolutely. And I think the parents see it too. Because you can't fake it. No. You can't fake that. Definitely not. But the, the kids see that and they hear our story because we love telling stories. And think, well, for these two guys, we're goalkeepers at the same age and they're best friends. So and, and, and so then when we talk about building a goalkeeping club and supporting each other, we're not making that up. Yeah. And and uh, and they, they can see it in action.
0: And demonstrate you can be in competition with each other, but still have a friendship, yeah, which is important yeah, as well. Yeah.
1: Also, I'll, I'll often say, oh, you get kicked out of the union for that if they, they do something <laughs> against another the keeper. And I'll be honest that um, when you're playing the game, of course you want to win, which means you want your team to score, which means you want the other goal to let in the goal. But you never want the other goal to make a clanger yeah. that embarrasses himself. You want the goals that your team scores to be unstoppable. Because Agreed. That could be me, you know? And that's, that's what, that's what pe- being part of the goalkeeper club and being respectful of the position is about, that we, we don't want... I don't want to see it go through your legs, you poor bugger. And if that happened to the other guy, I'd be the first thing that the guys had, mate. I can remember that happened to me once and, you know, you're a great keeper, get your head up, yep. you'll be back, you know? And, and, that, and I think that, that relationship that John and I had as kids helped us because we pushed each other. And we encourage each other. So the, the, the kids that we coach, we encourage them to to push each other, and we are already seeing some really good friendships develop between some of the top young which is important. young keepers around here. Um, which yeah, which I think that's the dare I say the the great the crag and curly ethic of goalkeeping that we like to put across to the the boys and girls that we're coaching.
0: Sometimes those intangibles are those uh, one to two percenters that make a real difference in life.
1: Mm, absolutely. Yeah. So. Yeah.
0: Wow well I guess um, to finalize a, a couple of other questions you know um, where do you see yourself um, do you see yourself for the rest of your life being involved in the game at some some level in terms of goalkeeping like at the moment you know you've got junior coaching with your daughter um, you're doing the football South coast stuff chip is finishing school and obviously there's a there's a real zest and, and passion there do you you don't see that dwindling in? No, you.
1: not at all. And, and uh, something that we haven't spoken about enough is um, I'm coaching the keepers of Tarawana. Again, the, the, the senior keepers of Tarawana, which I'm, which I'm really enjoying. I'm really lucky uh, to have um, inherited uh, Adam Rodriguez, the current first-grade keeper, who I realised, after the laws says, oh, I met you when you were 12. You used to always wear the Ica Casillas outfit, didn't you? And he went, yeah, yeah, he said, oh, of course. Because Craig was coaching you. Okay. And I'd gone along to a few sessions and just before I moved up north and I remember this little guy, he had a 12, he was great, uh, and I thought, well, no wonder your techniques so good. You grew up with crunch, didn't you? And Because and, and, he's, he's a really good keeper and I've said to him that, mate, I, I don't have anything to teach you technically. I'll remind you of things every now and again, but my job is just to roll you over. As long as I give you a sharp session once a week, encourage you when you need it, etc., and then the younger guys who are involved in the club, there's a few good keepers who've turned to trial already. Um, it's my job to bring them along. And they have already have an advantage that Adam trains the house down. So they'll be working with the keeper. They'll have to keep it's up got with him. Great work, yeah. and, I'll, and I'll be pushing him. So I'll, I'll be wanting I'll be wanting to do that for as long as I'm as long as I'm able. Yeah. You know. And also um, I like, like my involvement with football south coast. Uh, I love doing the stuff with chippers. And I think I would like to do more and more stuff with John Pranavik as well. And we've often spoken about, because we get, a lot of people ask us, you know, we want to do some more stuff with you guys. Do you do any private coaching? And, um, and that, that's the next conversation that we need to have. Yeah. Because, the, because the, the demand seems to be there. And we've, I guess, built ourselves a reputation. And, um, and because John has been coaching at the walls, so high level than me, and because he's just been to Spain, and I haven't caught up with him. in has back a couple of weeks, and he's he would have learned a hell of a lot more there. So um, I'm really keen to pick up new stuff from him, and um, and we love work because we balance each other out as well. You know, he, he's I learn a lot of the new stuff with him, yep. and I think he, as he says to me, he picks up a lot of the communication stuff that, that, that I have.
0: And you think. Yeah. Uh, your vocation in life has helped you in terms of being a, a yeah, good, good coach as well?
1: I, I hope so. I like doing the, the social work thing with, you know, sometimes disadvantaged kids or or sometimes just, you know, for want of a better word, average kids. You get to know that people are individuals. And in the classroom at the moment, the, the, the buzz term is differentiation. You differentiate the curriculum for the individual students. Whether that's the curriculum or whether that's behaviour management. And it's the same thing with kids when you're coaching. And with goalkeepers, so much of it is about headspace. And you have to be able to identify quickly the kids that need a slight rub on the shoulder, yep. are you okay, mate? To those that can actually handle having their guts ripped out and being being um, given some tough love. Because not all, everyone's not the same. Yeah, no, and, and treating people equally is not treating them the same. Because you have to know their nuances, you have to know what they respond well to you have to know sometimes if you say the wrong thing you can you can take them back five years you know um so I think that my social work and my teaching have taught me that but sometimes I'm in the classroom and I'm thinking gee my soccer coaching just gave me a good tip for how to deal with this kid in the classroom Uh, and I'll finish off with this this was a bit of a funny little story my first day at Warrarong High School in about 2011 um I was out in the back oval on duty, and there was a few uh, African boys out there having a penalty shootout, just a small goal. I so, said, hey, boys, can I go goals? Because they were just swapping around. It wasn't yeah. like a... It didn't look... You know, I can tell if you are if a gobbledgipper on or if you're someone in there just having a the go. But they laughed at me. Who's this old bloke? Oh, yeah. Well, okay. Okay, so come on. to of goals, <laughs> nothing went in. <laughs> nothing went in. Small goal. It was a small goal and there's a crowd around after a while and there's this guy he's my first day there and then the next time I was there this fellow comes up and says sir Mr. Curly, yeah is your first name David he goes, yeah 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 you used to play for Tarawana? Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah my old man said you were shit <laughs> and then he jokes. nah he said you're a good bloke so yeah anyway. so, and then you start those football conversations with kids and they can see if you're for real you know and once I tell them I'm a Tottenham supporter, they go, well, oh, you wouldn't make that up. <laughs> it's not as embarrassing now as it was eight, nine years ago. But, um, yeah, because they can see straight through if you're faking it. And once the kids see that I have a real passion for this game and I'll share it with them and, and whatnot, then um, you're on side. And then when you've got to have the tough conversations with them, you can. Because you've, you've gained their trust and their respect and, and all that.
0: So do you think, um, just a thought um, that's come to mind, do you think, um, um, and, and cost of um, playing even junior football is, is, is not, um, it is still pretty hard for a lot of people and a lot mm-hmm. of families, do you think there's um, you know, more work that we need to do as a soccer community to, to uh, link ourselves and to help lower socioeconomic kids be part of our game to get what our kids sort of take for granted. That can maybe, you know, what we've spoken about. There's a lot of positivity in terms of your soccer journey and and what you give to our other other kids and and your daughter and who you coach. So do you think that there's something there that maybe in the future we could do more with?
1: Yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, I don't know what the answers are, and that, that's another conversation as well. But I sometimes think that gee, with all that, there's no way I could play rep now. I was a kid, like I was from a very working class family with lots of kids in it. Like I, I, I was, I mean, I played soccer and cricket. Uh, I was basically raised by Taronga Soccer Club and Balgownie Grip Club, uh, and the costs weren't that great. And I've got Carmel High to thank a lot for, because the, all the overseas trips I had back there were funded by raffle tickets wow. from Cronwell High School and whatnot. And um, and I do see. Even you know, some of the refugee kids I've seen, that surely there's got to be something that can be done. Be done with some of those kids. I mean, look at what's happening the South at the moment. So the, there's a, obviously those guys have got support somehow. Yeah. To to get to get where they are. So it can't happen. But yeah, yeah. Within... And another one of my favourite stories from Johnny Warren's book that I alluded to earlier was the role that the Greek community in Sydney played um, with. Oh my god, I forgot his name. You going not have to edit this out. Charles Perkins, sorry. The great Charles Perkins. Yeah. Original um, politician, activist, etc. Leader of the Freedom Right in 65. Great man, amazing man. Most people don't even know he was a a footballer. Yeah, I know. Like if he was a rugby league player, everyone would know. And I didn't know, when I was reading the book, I didn't realise that. I knew who Charles Perkins was but I didn't know. Yeah, I
0: didn't realize either. I knew of his political career, yes, but I didn't, I didn't know of his, I football, didn't know his football story.
1: And I, I'm pretty sure this is right that Johnny Warren was saying that because he was the first pretty full, first Aboriginal guy to go to, to finish university and it was funded by the Greek community in Sydney in his football club. Why don't we know that? You know. Um, but anyway, that's off track a little bit. But back to yeah, the issue about Have we, have we made the game elite?
0: Yeah, well, that's that that becomes a question,
1: mm-hmm. and like I well, you said it's complex. So yeah, I, I shouldn't swear, but the southern expansion thing um, wasn't one of its things that well, kids won't have to pay. So yeah, the, 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 it's a conversation that needs to be had in earnest for sure yeah, to, to to make an evil play, even playing ground. Because I was reading something recently about the stats around the world of. So many of the top footballers in the world were from poverty-stricken towns.
0: Yeah, the, the barrios in South yeah. America or favelas
1: yeah. or... Yeah, exactly. And same with the basketballers in in, in the States and, and whatnot.
0: So um, let's finish off with, uh, with um, two questions relating to playing and coaching. Um, and it, it's probably hard, and if you've got a couple for each, so be it. But... Um, I guess favourite moments or moments where you thought wow I really enjoyed that game or or that season or and in coaching
1: yeah. as well I'll, I'll keep a couple with playing because one of them is, I surprised myself when I thought of this one Tarawana under 14s it was probably my last game as a junior we had only had 7 players just me and 6 of my best friends and we weren't very good at all we were playing Kunawara who had to win the game to make the sentence. It was nil all draw. And you may as well have put a brick wall in front of the goal. I was that good that day. this one of those games where, anyone listening as a keeper will know, some days nothing gets past you. And it was just one of those days. I'm, pulling, I'm 14, 13, I'm pulling out of the top corner. But it was about my mates who were who were missing the ball, and who were missing tackles, and, oh, it's alright, I'm here.
0: And only seven obvious.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, that really stands out, actually. And then I guess another one was um, a game for Cornwall High School against Canterbury Boys High, where we've been at the I've been at the South Coast. Well, sorry, the state state titles all week playing for South Coast on the Monday to Thursday, and this was the Friday. And there was a particular guy we, we called him Split Ends because he had the haircut, and it was 1980, whatever, early 80s, and. Uh, it was 82, so it was not long after the World Cup. And um, those old nuts remember remember Zico yep. and Ada And who else was in that team anyway? Those guys were... If you give Brazil in that, that year a free kick within 25 meters, it was like giving them a penalty. It was just over-the-wall top corner. Mm-hmm. And this guy was doing that at the state titles just repeatedly. And so often, free kick... Just left side of the D, just outside the box, over the wall, top corner. And we turn up, play against Canary Boys High, oh, oh, he's in the team. <laughs> Shit. Okay, we're down 1-0 at time. we're thinking, oh, well, maybe our run's over now. Not to worry. Somehow, we got up 2-1. We, we got ahead 2-1, we just fought back. And, um, and I was, you know, doing my job, nothing special, I was just, just doing my job, but then this is, is schoolboy stuff I just wish there was a big crowd there <laughs> there was a big crowd from the other school there it was Canterbury boys high and the whole this big grandstand was full of these Greek boys who wanted to kill us and um, anyway they get the free kick just in that spot just outside the box the left side of the D okay I put a full man wall up gone to my far post and thinking okay I've just got to do this I know what's going and then I'm thinking oh what if he hits it straight at me and I've already died to my right but I thought no there's no way I'm going to say this. So I, he, as soon as the whistle's gone <laughs> and he's running in, I've taken a couple of tests on my right and just dived and he's hit in the top corner and I caught it. And and the, I'll, think, I'll never forget the look on the wall's face. The the collective four or five faces yeah. of the boys in the wall when they turn around and look at me like, what do you just do? And that's going back to the thing about a guy who was there to, to protect his friends. Yep. So that was probably the most joyous moment for me because appreciation from my friends. Yep. All these years later, telling fell fellas, I knew where it was going. There's no way <laughs> that I'm good enough to make that save unless I know where it's going. <laughs> so uh, I, I also sometimes like to tell that story only to people who you know won't think I'm a dickhead. But um, no, no, no. hopefully people listening won't. Uh, but that you've got to get to, you've got to know your opposition. And I was. I was watching this guy all week, thinking, wow, look at this guy. And the, I wasn't actually thinking, oh, i might play against him one day. Yeah, yeah. Because they weren't in our pool, so I didn't have to play against him. And we avoided them in the 70s, and we didn't make the final. Um, but that really taught me that, okay, you've got to watch what people do. You've got to get to know their strengths, their weaknesses, etc. Yeah, yeah. So that's it, certainly in terms of, um, as a player. Uh, and as a coach, club-wise, the the journey I've gone on with my daughter's team, Uh, we started off really poor. I've I've had a a season of losing every game, and I've had a season of winning every game. So I've I've, I've witnessed both ends, and I've witnessed some heartbreaking grand final losses. Um, We had one where, you know those days where we hit the post five times, all that stuff, they got one chance where the girls saw the ball went out so they just stopped. They played on and scored. We lost the grand final 1-0. Wow. We lost in a, we, we had another grand final where we was one all Great comeback. We got one all We got a penalty in the last minute missed it. Then lost them the a shootout. And then the next year was the, the perfect season so to speak. So I guess that that was good, nice to, to see the joy that those girls experienced. And I remember me being in training for the season thinking I've got to hold on to this moment because this is one of the greatest times of my life to be lucky enough to be coaching these girls. By then they were fifteen. I'd known most of them since they were ten or eleven, uh, and seen them grow into young women, uh, the team stuff that, can, and me growing up in a period where girls didn't even get that opportunity. Yep. So it really is all that stuff around, um, the beauty of a team, camaraderie, and on a personal level, me being able to share that with my daughter. And we we had a really good. Um, state cup run the year before as well um there's some amazing games yeah with comebacks and great goals and, and all that stuff and seeing the joy of young women and seeing girls being able to experience that stuff that greater things that i have experienced as a boy that, that my girls got to experience uh, yeah and i'll just add one when you're coaching goalkeepers the look in the kid's eye when they've nailed their first dive 'Cause I always say, look, you haven't got your pilot's license yet, I'm not gonna let you fly. Because <laughs> you have to, have to learn to land. First we learn to land before you before you can fly. Once you can see that, yep, yeah, they've got it. They're landing properly, They're landing safely now. Because it's all about safety, yeah. Because so often kids give away gold because they get hurt. They dive and land on their elbow and pop their shoulder, so I don't want to do that anymore. You know. So sometimes you might just serve one a little bit wider because you know that they will extend. And then when they go through the air and land safely, and the penny is dropped, oh my God, I just dived, and then a the whole new world opens up to you. Um, so seeing seeing the look in a kid's eye when they do that, that's that's magic. Yeah.
0: Well, let's let, let's end it on that. Let's do that. Appreciate yeah. your time, Dave. Yeah. No, thank, Thanks so much. I'm your host, Travis, so thanks for your time and thanks for listening. Be gentle in your feedback. I will develop as an interviewer and thank you again for your time. Bye-bye for now.